I've got a word that God began speaking to me several weeks ago. And it's been kind of burning a hole in my heart, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver it to you today uh, with, through God's power, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Um, if I don't know you, because sometimes I forget, I speak so infrequently around here that um, maybe you don't know who I am, but I'm Pastor Mark, and I'm your executive pastor here at the church. And... Um, just want to thank you guys for for being part of the Pathway family, for being here, and certainly a few guests that are here today. We welcome you if you're attending here in person or online. We thank you guys for coming. Yeah, go ahead and give them a big round of applause, Pathway. Um, if you want to connect with us, uh, we have a connection card that you can actually fill out online. You can text CONNECT um, to the number on the screen. Um, if it appears on the screen. I can never remember that number. So um, it's, it's in the notes there, our, our service. There you go. Thank, you guys always got my back. I sure appreciate that. But you can text CONNECT to 903-331-0559 and let us know if you have a prayer request, if there's a need that you have, uh, we're here for you. Um, before I begin my message, though, I want to acknowledge something. Uh, as I was praying for this service yesterday, I was here in the sanctuary just kind of praying over the seats and praying over the message and, and walking through it. And I was just really quickened by the Holy Spirit um, to acknowledge the pain that our church family is going through right now. Um, on top of what has already been a very, very difficult season um, in the world. And so... I want to acknowledge you, but I also want to tell you how incredibly proud that I am and that we are as a leadership team of how, um, how you've continued to give and serve and love each other and be there for each other, not just for, the, for Pathway, but for the kingdom. And it's been incredibly inspirational to me and I know to, to others. Um, I also want to assure all of you that we will get through this together, right? Uh, you have to contend for unity. It doesn't come free. It's something that you have to, that you contend, you literally have to fight for. And so while there are some very untrue things that have been said recently about our church and about our pastor, here's what I want you to hear from me. My encouragement to you as your executive pastor, but more as your friend, Listen to God's voice. His is the only one that matters, right? Not mine, not pastors, not anybody here, not anybody certainly outside of here. Just listen to God's voice. As we've preached, pastors preach from the beginning of this church, if we've done nothing else, we've taught you how to hear God for yourself, how to hear his voice. And do as many others have if, if you need to, Reach out for help if you need us to pray for you, if you have questions, there's something we can do. Um, but, but lean into the body. Um, let us be there with you, be there for you. As one of our owners shared with me last week, as I was kind of talking about some of these things with her, she said, you know, real family sticks together, don't we? And I said, amen, we do. So I just want you guys to know how, how much we love you. Uh, thank you for your love and grace as we've walked this out. Um, just know that you definitely have ours. Amen.
All right. Is that okay? I guess so, because I said it. All right. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. All right. So, guys, are you ready for this? Because I've had, I prayed at the, when I found out I'd be speaking this weekend. Here's my prayer several weeks ago. God, give me a rhema word for my church that weekend. I don't want a cutesy little sermon. I don't want something everybody can go, oh, Brother Mark, that was just so, so precious. Um, I wanted a word, <laughs> a word from God that is for you for today. And here's what I promise you. God delivered, okay? So I'm going to do my best to give it to you, but you're going to have to help me, okay, by receiving it. All right? Can you do that for me? Amen. All right. So as I was praying over this, um, as he's done the last couple times, God dropped a text in my heart. And the text that he dropped in my heart as I prayed was the story of Job. And probably like your initial reaction right there, it was like, seriously? Um, God, I always wanting to share something really encouraging with the people. And all of a sudden, I'm wrestling with the story of Job, which is which is, the, it's a delicate text, can we be honest? How many of you, like in your spare time for funsies, read Job? Anybody? All right. Um, <laughs> we have maybe one person, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, if you're like me, the only time I ever read Job was when it was in my Bible reading plan, and even then, I kind of skimmed it. I'm just going to be honest with you, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so when God spoke Job to me, and I kind of wrestled with it for a bit, I heard God say, trust me, trust me. And that's kind of one of the themes for today. Um, we all have pain and experience pain, right? Job's story is full of pain. Um, we're, we're not, no one escapes it. Uh, in our everyday life, it's something that uh, we're all experiencing in different ways right now. Maybe you've been affected by it due to the loss of your job or reduction in hours or, or reduction in pay or in your health or all the other uncertainty that kind of makes up the world we live in today. Nobody saw this coming into 2020, right? The year of 2020 vision, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? Um, that didn't work out that way. Um, but here's kind of what I, the burden for today is. We're going we're gonna to place ourselves in this story, but I really want you to, to stay with me. Don't, there's moments in this that are pretty heavy, just to be honest with you. But don't check out on me. Don't disconnect your device. All right? Stay with me, and I promise it'll be worth it. Can you do that? All right. Um, talking about pain. So let me place you into the story of Job for just a second, just real quickly. Uh, Job is the oldest book written. I didn't know that till I was studying for this. And if you think, well, Genesis was the oldest book. Well, Genesis details the accounts of creation, and certainly those events occurred first. But Job's book was actually written first. And so to kind of put you in Job's story, because this was really helpful for me, Job lived at a time where Jacob, Joseph, and... Uh, who was the other guy? Isaac would have lived. So if you can kind of put yourself in that place, but it was before Moses came along. So between 1700 and 1900 BC, that era is where Job's life 
was lived. Um, here's what we know about Job from chapter one. He was considered blameless and upright, which would have meant he was a, guy, a man of high character and integrity. Um, he feared God and did no evil in God's sight. Uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. He was very wealthy. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and many, many servants. He was considered by the writer of the book the greatest man among all the people of the East. So very, very influential, very well known. Job was at a place that we all kind of desire to be, right? Doing well, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, family's healthy, everybody's doing well. And then that's kind of where we're going to pick up on the story. And so Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. How many of you have ever had a one day? Yeah. Right? A day that all other days are measured by what your life was before the one day and what your life looked like after the one day. Right? That's the kind of day that Job had on this day. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Now, do you think God didn't know where Satan came from? Can we just be honest, right? Um, that's probably a more rhetorical question. But Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And can I tell you that we all have trouble with that scripture? We're going to talk about that today a lot. But here next is what God says about Job. There is no one on the earth like him. Can you imagine that endorsement? And in a positive way. I mean, there's no one on the earth like Job. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan replies, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Again, we have a big problem with this, don't we? Okay? I promise we're going to answer this today. If you'll stay with me. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The title of my message today is Pain as Promised. And my promise to you is this title will make sense by the time we're finished, okay? Bow your heads with me. Father, we ask that you be the only spirit of power here, that your Holy Spirit would help us to hear your word and respond to it. We thank you for your revelation, and we thank you that we will leave here forever changed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. So first key from Job's story I want us to explore together, and the most important is trust first. Trust first. We have to settle the matter of trust first before the one day. How many know that as human beings, we don't do very well when we're in emotional situations trying to make decisions. Can we be honest? Anybody here make really great decisions when you're emotionally compromised? <laughs> right? No. That's why you have to settle it first. You have to know what you're going to do, where your trust is first. The next part of the text I'm going to summarize to kind of save time. This is verse 13 of tw through 22 of chapter 1. One day... 
When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the brother's house, a messenger came, and this is where he loses everything. So the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing, the Sabians attacked and made off with all of them, put the servants to the sword. Another servant runs in right after the other one. Hey, all of your sheep and servants tending them were burned up. Another servant comes in. The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down and took all your camels and put the servants to the sword. And then the one that hurt the most. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. This is verse 18. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're dead. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I'd like to think that I could handle it like Job. But the truth is we don't know, do we? But I have to believe, based on what we see in Job in this story, is that he had settled the matter of trust way long time before this moment. Would you agree? If we wait until the one day happens, we will not be prepared to make the right decision. Can I tell you that I've made the wrong decisions in those moments? I'm willing to bet that many of you have made the wrong decisions in those moments. That's why it's so critical. Um, my son, who's almost 18, we've had these, this conversation as he's become a young man about sexual purity and about pornography. And part of the conversation has been, son, you have to decide what your answer is before you get to the moment. You have to know before the moment gets there what you're going to do. Because you can't trust you to make the right decision about what you're going to view or what you're going to do when the moment comes. And in the same way, we have to learn to trust God ahead of those moments as well. We have to know and hear, not just what we think. We have to know it has to be settled in our heart. You see that? So we're talking about trust. We have to trust first. Trust, as I mentioned earlier, is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Job completely and wholly trusted God. He had a firm belief in the reliability, the strength, and the ability of God. Would you agree? But let's be honest. We avoid Job and his struggle, mostly due to these scriptures I mentioned that we don't quite understand. Why would a good, loving God, a trustworthy God, allow the enemy this kind of access to Job's life? Is he playing games with our lives? Play some bets with Satan? Is that the God we know? But it begs the question, right? What's that all about? And still, without the answer, we have to trust him. We have to trust him when we, you know, if we don't know, which is quite honestly most of the time, right, when we encounter struggle or pain. But we also have to trust him if we never know. We as humans struggle with this because we just need to know. We just want to know, right? If you remember when you were growing up, 
um, anything. My parents are here, so they can, they can speak to this. But uh, I would ask, why? And my parents would say, because I said so. <laughs> right? I didn't like that answer, because I wanted to know why. I was entitled to know why. Right? But let's just be honest. We struggle with the I don't know. Or we struggle with not knowing. It's been 12 years since my healthy 25-year-old cousin, Clint Michael Strait, collapsed on a treadmill and went to heaven. I don't know. I don't understand it. 12 years later, got nothing. But I watched my family, I watched my aunt and uncle wrestle it out and just trust. Right? Trust God. In a situation, you'll never, you'll never convince me there was good that came from that. I can't see it, right? But does that change my trust in God? Nope. We have to trust first. A couple of people from our Pathway family, Mason McGoy, four and a half years ago at age two, out of nowhere, Patrick and Patricia their little energy ball, Mason, was diagnosed with leukemia. I watched them walk this entire process out, not perfectly, wasn't pretty at times, but trusting, trusting God. I watched Mason and his little boy way trust God. I performed a funeral last year for my good friends, Allie and Justin Hampton, and their beautiful little boy, Levi Cole, who spent less than one day with us on this earth before going up to heaven. I got nothing. I don't know. I walked Ali and Justin through that painful experience mostly by just being there. I had nothing to say. The loss of a child's most painful thing you can endure. If you had that experience, I haven't, thankfully, but I've been around it. And it's hard. It stinks. But these, like so many of you in this room, that I could look around and see all of your stories, you chose to trust God when it didn't make sense, when, when there wasn't any way you could figure it out. And I'll come back to these stories in just a moment. So many times over the course of time, the answer may still be the same. I don't know. This side of heaven, we might, may not ever know. But we do have some promises that God gave us to help us through the pain. Right? Remember, trust first. Romans 8.28, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Does it say some things? No, it says all, everything. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Aren't you glad God's thoughts are higher than ours? Aren't you glad his ways are higher than ours? It's hard for us to understand, right? Right? Here's, if this helps you, it helps me. 
understand God is outside of time. He's ahead of us already. He sees the playing field. He's always working things out for our good. It's just we can't see it. And sometimes the good looks bad or vice versa, right? But part of our problem in humanity is we struggle with the idea of permanence. And what I mean by that is we feel like everything that happens here is permanent, that it's forever. When in reality, it is very, very temporary. Just like these that have lost loved ones, like Ali and Justin or my cousin, and some of you very recently, we didn't lose them forever. We lost them for a very short time. James calls our life a mist. If you remember the message pastor did one time that he used this really long rope, and on the end of it, there was a little bitty red section. And we had to use our holy imagination to remember that the entire rest of that rope just went on to infinity. That is our life. Right? So the people that we lose here, they're not really lost. We're just temporarily disconnected. And we will, as, as Job did, we will see those kids again. We will see those cousins again, those mothers and fathers again, because God promised it. Don't get stuck here in the permanent. This is not permanent. Okay? Do you, do you feel that? Do you really feel that? We have to settle the matter of trust first. So does God kill, steal, and destroy? Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. How does, why does he come? That we may have life and may have it to the fullest, may have it abundantly, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I love what the Passion Translation says of the back end of that verse. Each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. Amen. Yeah. It's an opportunity to trust him more. In this account, we clearly see that Job trusted God, but this was something I'd never seen until I studied this for you today. Can you, can you see that God trusted Job? Think about that. If God would have known that Job was going to fail, do you think he would have put that on Job? Or allowed that to happen? And I, I get it. There's tension, right? I don't understand that. I don't, I don't want God to trust me, right? <laughs> Can we be honest for a second? But here's what I want you to hear from that. God was so trusting of Job that he allowed Job to go through such pain with a purpose attached to the other side of it because he knew Job wouldn't fail. And let me tell you guys, God knows you won't fail. God trusts you. We will go through pain. We have to trust him. But the trust that I'm talking about this morning is a two-way street. We're talking about Job's trust in God our trust in God, but look at the other side. God trusts us 
to carry his message in this very slim window of time that we have for his kingdom. Amen? All right, hang with me. Don't go anywhere. I know we're still kind of, there's tension. We're going we're gonna to get there, I promise. God knew Job wouldn't falter. He also knew that Job's legacy would last for generations and be a model for us, an example for us. Because it'd be hard-pressed for me to, or any of us to, to find an example of anyone in the world who's endured as much personal pain and suffering as what Job went through. Not saying there wasn't one, but I think it's hard to imagine that, right? And God trusts all of us kids. He's with us. He trusts us as we learn to better trust him. Amen? Takeaway number two, pain changes us. Is that true? Pain is actually an essential part of everyday life. Without pain, we wouldn't know if we're sick or when to stop pounding our thumb with the hammer, right? <laughs> pain is part of life. Uh, there's some studies that show that when pain goes away, you experience increased happiness above and beyond the level of happiness that you experience before the pain, or if you've never had any at all. How many here or maybe online today have ever experienced pain? Right? How many have ever experienced pain that you learned from? Right? Okay. I'm going to assume that everybody raised their hand because we all have, right? How many have touched the hot stove? Okay, don't do that. <laughs> right? Um, how many have stepped on a jagged Lego Batman in the middle of the night? <laughs> right? Okay. How many have attempted to launch themselves over a barbed wire fence only to be snagged and brought to the ground. <laughs> that was painful. I learned from that. I didn't do that again. So some pain teaches us, right? Uh, there, was a, <laughs> there was a, when Jackson was two, he had this little scooter that he would scooch around in the house with. And he would scooch and scooch and scooch till he got to a corner, and he would get stuck in the corner, and he would look back at me and go, Daddy, I stucking, Daddy, I stucking, help. And I would go to the corner, and I would help him orient his little scooter, and he would get back on it, and he would scoot until he'd hit another corner. <laughs> Daddy, I stucking. And ultimately, I began to teach him how to reorient the scooter so that he could get out of the corner. And then we found reverse, and that was a great day. We found reverse. We could get out of the corner much easier. <laughs> then as he grew, we began working on riding the bicycle. And there was a day we took the training wheels off the bike, and we were kind of working on that. It was in Nana and Paul's driveway. And there was a point where I had to let him go. And guess what happened? He crashed hard, skin up his knee, and he looked back at me with tears streaming down his face, Daddy, help. And guess what I did? I went and helped him. I picked him up. I dusted him off. We attended to the boo-boo. Why would I allow my son to experience pain, to help him grow, to help him learn to do some things for himself? 
that one day I knew he was going to have to have that same experience with his son to help his son learn how to do certain things, including riding his bike. What I knew also is that that wound would heal in time. What I would submit to you this morning is there's sometimes there's things we go through that grow us, that we go through that allow us to see God more clearly, to see our Father more clearly. How many of you know that a lot of times it's in our natural world, we have that tendency like Jackson to call out for, for Dad to come help, but when we're doing walking through things spiritually, we tend to do the opposite. That's me. And Elena was here in the first service, and she amened me. <laughs> because my tendency when I go through tough things is to get into the corner. Anybody else like that? Like, I tend to go away from help and just try to process it, right? But that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to press into him. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to trust him. I wish it was always our first instinct to run to the Father, but it's never too late. John 16, 33, there's one of God's lesser known and much lesser quoted promises from Jesus, and this was with the last night, the last night he had with the disciples. John 16, 33, says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In the Greek, that's translated to afflictions, anguish, distress, or pain. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And if Jesus overcame the world, guess what? We do too. He was our forerunner. He paved the way for us. If Jesus can do it, we can as well. Amen? Pain as promised. That's what we're talking about. In Job 38, verse 1, and 40, verse 6, I love this picture, how it reads in the NIV, that the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And many times when we're going through really hard things or, or we're in distress, just like I am with my kids, I'm the closest to them when they're hurting the most. And that's the nature of our Heavenly Father. He speaks to us out of the storm. It's a promise. Psalm 34, 18 illustrates this when it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close when we need him the most. Pain changed Job. Pain changes us, right? How it changes us, though, is up to us. There's a quote that I saw in studying for this message. It just says simply, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. We're going, to, we're going to experience pain, guys, sometimes every day in some way. And how many have known people who have gone through pain, but they sit in their suffering? No condemnation. We've all done it, right? Like I, We've all been there. God doesn't want us to stay there, though. We can't stay in suffering, we have to 
pick ourselves up. We have to trust him. We have to keep moving forward. Amen. He was not the same after the pain, Job. He grew. And I love this picture in scripture. It's so clear to me in reading it. If you look at Job chapter one, Job is talking about God a lot, right? If you watch the progression of Job's conversation with the Lord as it comes from chapter one to chapter 42, what you see is initially this distant God that Job talks to. And now you see that with this kind of juxtaposition to now, something's happened in Job. In verse 5 of chapter 42, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And then Job repents. And I think that was encouraging to me because I feel like, you know, a lot of times I've looked at Job through this lens of this is kind of this guy that did no wrong and but here, even in Job's painful experience that he, that he went through, he saw some things in himself that he didn't like. Some things in himself that he felt in that moment of revelation that he just wanted to ask God to forgive him of to set everything straight. And I think we can learn from our pain. Pain changes us, but we, it needs to change us. We want it to change us the right way. Amen? You guys getting this? Are you with me? It's heavy, I know. But I see a lot, I see a lot of you really taking this in. When you experience pain, do you run to God or from him? Do you trust him? Do you put all of your weight on him? Do you listen to God or to the voices of people around you? Our pain changes us, and with our trust and faith, Let's make the decision to let it be for the better. Takeaway number three. This is probably my favorite. It's not about, it's not all about us. It's not all about us. So what if what you've been through or what you're going through right now, the pain, the loss, whatever it may be, what if it isn't all about you? Let's look again at the most pivotal moment and decision in Job's story together. So just hours after he found out that all of his wealth, all of his possessions, all of his, really, his life, as it was, was taken from him. Not to mention the fact that you can see in the story, it was so clear as I read it through, kind of from front to back, not only did he lose all of that, but he also lost his identity. Everybody left Job. Because they all believed what their culture apparently believed was that, well, he must be in sin. All of his friends, the family that remained, because you see in the, towards the end of the story, and I'll read it, you see him come back. But everybody left Job. He was by himself. And his only comfort, if you will, at the time was, was his poor wife who was struggling, Right? And you see that in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. His wife says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Just get it over with. And Job says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And I've always been really hard on Job's wife, but I felt like God gave me a compassion for her in reading this this time through. She just lost all of her babies, right? She just lost all of her sense of security. She was trying to figure it out, too. And maybe she 
thought that maybe there was something Job was keeping from her, you know? Who knows? But there's grace because she makes the trip. She carries into the next phase of this story as well. And so what if Job had just agreed with her and said, you know what, you're right. I'm out of here. I'm done. I've, I've lost everything. I'm sitting here literally in a heap of ash, scraping painful blisters off of his body with a piece of broken pottery. That's a really easy time for us to check out, right? But this is where I want you guys to really grab hold of this moment, because this is where everything turns. Job had a decision to make. In his moment of most intense pain, without anybody seemingly on his side, he said, I want to trust God. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what my wife says about me in this moment. I'm going to trust God. If he had made the decision to just curse God and die, we never would have heard of Job. Right? But because he didn't sin against God and because he chose to trust God at this critical decision point that we all have, we all have them, sometimes multiple, probably many times, most of the time, multiple times in our lives, we have that point where we hit the bottom of that season we're in and you have a decision. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to go through this? Or am I just going to check out? Let's look at the impact, though, of that decision that Job made. Remember, this point is talking about it not being all about us. Certainly it was about Job, but it wasn't just about Job. And so he had lost everything. Everyone in the region had bought into the fact that, you know, his friends are, if you, if you read Job, it's a painful read. I'm just going to tell you, like, if you, if you read all the friends' pontifications about, you know, Job, you must have sin, you know, obviously. You know, God's cursed you. So repent and everything will be okay, you know. And Job's like, I didn't do anything, guys. You know, like, this is, this goes on back and forth throughout this. Along with Job's, you know, heart, he's expressing to the Lord. He's in pain, Right? You see all that kind of woven throughout the story. But let's kind of finish up Job's story here, and we'll make this turn together. Job, this is the last chapter, 42, verse 5 through 17. And this is what I, I spoke to a minute ago. I'd only heard about you before, Lord, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. How many of you want to take back things you've said to the Lord before? Right, okay. I appreciate you guys being so honest today. And I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. But here's where we see, starting in verse 7, where Job's pain wasn't just about him. God spoke directly to Eliphaz and Job's other friends in this moment. In verse 7, it says, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he turned to Eliphaz. I can just imagine Eliphaz like, uh oh. Right? I am angry with you, uh oh. And your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. 
and I'll accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately or truthfully about me as my servant has. So Eliphaz and the gang did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. I love this picture so much because God puts Job in the position of priest and has him directly and personally pray and bless his friends to redeem them. I love that picture of redemption. That wouldn't have been an easy thing for Job probably considering what he'd just been through and, and some of the things that he had experienced in this story from their perspectives. But when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before, and then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. This is where everybody comes back. Like, oh, okay, Job's okay. We can, we can go party at his house now. God's not against him. And I would imagine it would have had, you know, you talk about the patience of Job a lot. I just imagine Job in that moment as they're all coming back, because if it had been me, I'd have been like, no, <laughs> nope, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but Job opened his house back up. He let all of those people in. Just another symbol of the integrity and character this guy had. And they feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him. And each of them brought a gift of money, and I'd bring him a gift too if I were them. Um, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than the beginning. And it's, we see God has doubled everything that he had before, twice as much of everything. And at the end of this, he lives 140 more years seeing four generations of his children and grandchildren, and he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. What I, what I would submit to you, we, we focus a lot on what God blessed Job with in terms of his wealth or possessions after this, because that tends to be where we gravitate, right? Put that aside for a second. If God doubled everything that Job had in that arena, here's what my confidence is and what I felt like I saw the Holy Spirit telling me through this study is that God redeemed Job through that. And he took Job to a whole nother level of influence, a whole nother level of respect, a whole nother level of abundance, a whole nother level of the ability to influence the people around him. Remember, he was the most influential man in Uz, Uz, right? And so it's not all about us sometimes. God used this very painful experience that Job went through because he trusted Job. And because what was being said about God was untrue, right? God used that. He used Job, and he redeemed an entire region, because of Job's faithfulness. And then for his obedience, God blessed him and prospered him and gave him more responsibility, right? Leadership comes with the acceptance of responsibility. Maturity comes with the acceptance of responsibility. We have to grow through it. And Job trusted God. He didn't understand it. He didn't know how it was all going to turn out. He had plenty of opportunities to check out. But he died an old man who'd lived a long, full 
life. A key to Job's story I really want you to see, I really want to underline this for you to help you understand this whole picture, is if God had built a system, as Satan suggested, whereby goodness is always rewarded with God's blessing and prosperity, then how could anyone know if our actions are born out of a pure motive of love or our own greed and selfish gain? Do you see that? God cares about our motive. He doesn't care about what we do. I mean, he does, but the, the priority is on the heart, right? He makes that real clear in Scripture. We can do all the religious things, as many of you know, Job's friends and the community he lived and served in, they did all the right things, but they were doing it for the wrong motive. And God needed to correct that. So he trusted Job to be the man for the job. And he allowed Job to go through some very hard things. And on the other side of that, the reward was he, he increased Job and he blessed Job with, with all of the things we just mentioned. And we see this beautiful picture of redemption and grace. And ultimately, the thing that Job lost that hurt the most at the end of his roughly 200 years of life, guess what he had back again? His kids. He's still with them today. And he will be forever. The things that matter, God preserves for us. Remember Job 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2. Satan said, if you take away all of his wealth, he'll curse you. His wealth was taken away. Well, then if you take his health away, he'll curse you. And that was taken away. And still, God trusted Job. And then we never hear from the enemy again. Hmm. Right? Where'd the accuser go? He gone. <laughs> right? And as we do, our stories, our testimonies, our lives testify to the unfathomable love and grace of God as others see his love and grace in our own lives and experiences. God trusts you. We don't trust ourselves sometimes, right? But God sees who we are. He knows who we are. He trusts you. He won't put anything on you you can't handle. His word promises us that. So what if what we're going through isn't just about us? Our culture doesn't understand that. It's a very me-first culture. Guys, the kingdom is always upside down. It's about giving, loving, serving others. It's not about getting. And if there's never been a time in our history where it's been more evident that we've got a bunch of selfish, self-centered people just trying to get theirs, it's today. But we've got to be salt and light. We've got to be the Job's of the world. We've got to live in trust with God, right? All right, go ahead and stand with me. I'll bring this train into the station. You still with me? All right, has this been good? Amen. Praise God. Pain is promised. 
John 16:33 again says, "In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world." Grace also is promised. I mentioned two families from our church earlier, talked about Mason and Patrick and Patricia. Most of us have watched this kid fight and battle and scratch and claw and ultimately kick cancer's butt. Amen. Amen. And we watched mom and dad literally just trust. It hurt. It was hard. I remember the messages that we would get from them, the late night emergency trips to Children's in Dallas to pray. Was it easy? No. Was it painful? You bet. But I think Patrick and Patricia understood something that all of us can glean from. That in the middle of it, these folks wouldn't stop serving. They wouldn't stop giving. And when we asked them to take a break, they said no. Because they, they felt like their responsibility for, for them, especially going through this very tough time, was to continue to stay in an attitude of giving and trusting. It wasn't just about them. I mentioned Allie and Justin, who lost their newborn baby on the first day of his life. Their response was like many of us. Not no understanding, no way to wrestle with it or to grapple with it. But what I saw in them as I talked to them, prayed with them, was an unwavering trust and faith in God. No, it didn't make sense, and it never will. Was it painful? Did it hurt? Did they, did they struggle in their faith at times? Absolutely, they did. But they were vulnerable, and they allowed their pain to change them in the right way. They pressed into their church family. They asked the questions. We prayed. We talked. And ultimately, Allie texted me one day, and she said, hey, can you give me Pastor Jessica's number? And so she met with Pastor Jessica and began forming a life group for women that had gone through the type of loss that she experienced. And she began to serve out of that pain and love on other women that had experienced the same type of pain. And I didn't know this till this week, but Kayla, our event coordinator, Kayla Hall, she, we were talking about the message and said, do you know something really cool about that group? And I was like, no. She said, every young woman who was desiring to be pregnant again has either already had a baby or is pregnant right now. <laughs> God's good. Just a product of Allie and Justin's trust in God. Still doesn't make sense. But what are we going to do with the pain, right? What we do with it matters a whole lot. And then less than two months ago, Eliza Grace Hampton was born to Justin and Allie. And she's been giving her mom and daddy 
outfits ever since. <laughs> I love God's grace. I love his goodness. Pathway, what if the pain you're going through right now isn't just about you? What if there's a divine purpose in it that we just can't see yet? That it's about something much bigger that God has for you and others on the other side of these trials. What are others around you, some of which may not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, seeing in your story? What will we do with our pain? Pain is promised. Bow your heads with me, if you will. We all have a decision to make and have made and will make in the future, like Job did. Jesus, we recognize that there was a moment for you in the Garden of Gethsemane as you were sweating drops of blood, knowing what was ahead of you, where you had the opportunity to check out, but you didn't. Thank you. You chose to go through the pain, the torture, the beating, the crucifixion to save us. You trusted your Father in heaven. We want to trust our Father in heaven in the pain, in the hard times, because we know that ultimately he works all things together for the good of those that love him, that there is promise on the other side of our pain. So maybe you've been listening today and you've heard me talk about trusting God and maybe you're far from him. Maybe, maybe you've heard something that stirred you to recognize that you are in pain, but you don't have to stay in pain. And if that's you today and you'd just like me to pray over you from where you sit, I'd be honored to do that. So if that's you today, if you just lift your hand, let me pray over you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank God for you. Just pray something like this with me. Father God, I love you. Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of any sin in my heart to come into my heart and be my Lord, my Savior, and my very best friend. Help me to trust you. Help me to put my full weight on you when I can't trust me. I profess you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to pray over our church family. Father, you see all things. There's nothing hidden from you. We know that you want to do a new thing in us. It's part of our founding scripture. So we trust you. We want the power that we read about. We want the miracles that you promised in your word. And we won't back up. And no enemy from hell is going to keep it from us. Because we're your kids. 
our lives are in your hands and we completely and unequivocally trust you. So God, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us a heart of compassion for others, give us a tenacity to fight through the pain and to see the promise on the other side. We love you and we thank you for what will come, the testimonies to come. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I told you it'd be worth it if you hung with me. Just want to bless you guys. Um, if you need prayer, you can text prayer to that number right there. And we'd love to pray for you. If you want to connect with us any other way, uh, please do that. You can text connect to that number. But know that we love you, Pathway. Know that we're here for you no matter what, okay? So if you, if you need us, if you need me, say the word. Um, as you're dismissed, you know, be mindful of, of some that are still trying to be conscientious, that work in different fields and have different health challenges. Just be conscientious of that. I, for me, just want to hug everybody because it's so nice to see faces that are not on screens. Amen? <laughs> but know we love you. Be very safe out there, and we'll see you back here next week, same time, same place. Thank you, guys. Love you.